Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Anita Po Show, a Bitcoin-only podcast. My guest today is Diego Guterres Saldivar, CEO of IOV Labs and the co-founder of La Bitconf, the first Bitcoin conference in Latin America, which was founded in 2013. And Diego is also the co-founder of Bitcoin Ibero America, an NGO devoted to Bitcoin education. We're going to talk about Rootstock, the sidechain that is merge mined with Bitcoin, and the developments in El Salvador and other topics. Before that, a short message about my new book and from my sponsors. And after that, enjoy the interview. Living on crypto is easier than you think with Bitrefill. Choose from over 4,000 gift cards and mobile top-up options from around the world. I used Bitrefill to top up my phone when I was visiting Zimbabwe. It was easy, worked like a charm, and I even earned sats back. Pay with Bitcoin, Lightning, Ethereum, Dash, Tether, Overtron, and many more options. No account is necessary. Join the thousands of users around the world who are living on crypto today using Bitrefill. Join now at bitrefill.com and start earning sats back with each purchase. That's bit. Refill.com. Learn Bitcoin will teach you the why and how to use Bitcoin. Gleaning wheat from chaff, Anita writes with the simplicity, clarity, and precision necessary. Exiled Surfer, communications lead at Sovereign DTC. Order your copy now at learnbitcoin.link. That's learnbitcoin.link. Did you know that last year, more than 14 million trades were made with gift cards on Paxful? That's 14 million discounts that were given in exchange for Bitcoin through regular entrepreneurs like you and me. Through these trades, entrepreneurs can make a profit. At the same time, they help unbanked people around the globe send money back home or access the global economy. An international business with Bitcoin is possible for everyone, and Paxful truly believes it. Find out how entrepreneurs around the world have been changing their lives with Bitcoin and Paxful.com by checking out this link, anita.link slash Paxful. That's anita.link slash Paxful. Hello, Diego. Welcome to the Anita Po Show. I'm glad that you could make it. Um, my pleasure, Anita. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I heard a lot about your projects and also RSK, the Rootstock uh, sidechain we're also going to talk about. Uh, but maybe our listeners don't know who you are. Uh, please introduce yourself. Well, I, who I am, difficult question. It's like, <laughs> I... What I do, maybe it's easier to to express, but, uh, you know, I, I've been in technology and, and trying to use technology for social transformation since the, the mid-90s. I was one of the pioneers of the web back in 1995. Uh, and, and I always saw, you know, technology as a means to transform society. I, I leave the, the web revolution and uh, although it didn't, was exactly as we expected. It did change society in many, many aspects. And, and I think one thing that we were missing back then was the, the economic element. No. So when I got in touch with Bitcoin, uh, well, 
First, I got in touch in Bitcoin uh, with Bitcoin in 2011. I didn't get it, or I didn't get the true depth of it. And then in 2012, when a good friend of mine brought me back to Bitcoin, I realized Bitcoin was the missing piece for what I wanted to do. That is uh, actually to build a society where individuals would be empowered and and would sort out the, the problems of society uh, by themselves without depending on third parties or, you know, uh, intermediation to do so. So when that happened, uh, I decided to devote myself in full to Bitcoin, uh, first creating communities in Argentina and Latin America. And, um, and then later on decided I wanted to, to focus on financial inclusion and, and see how Bitcoin could be used for that purpose and and well I, that's how i started uh the companies i lead today organizations that I lead today that are uh, looking to expand bitcoin into a full financial system that can provide financial services to any human being in the world in which year did you then start to work uh, for bitcoin or to build these communities when was that and and Can you please tell us what was the aha moment, you know, like the, the moment where you where you realized, okay, that's really working. Um, that's it. Well, I, you know, I, I started to use Bitcoin and, and be part of, of Bitcoin in 2012. Um, and at the beginning I was more or less doing everything there was to it. Like I was meeting in cafes in Buenos Aires with people, um, you know, and then, selling bitcoins uh, we had a, with some friends we bought a bus to go around latin america so we some of them were sending me bitcoins i was selling them for dollars to to buy the bus to pay for repairs so so we had that project um, i also bought a minor machine like a gpu uh, machine in the early days of bitcoin um, Most of the 3D gaming community in Argentina were the, the early Bitcoin miners in 2011. So I, I bought the machines from them, get to know who was involved in Bitcoin back in 2012. And um, as I knew from my previous experiences that, you know, um, disruptive technologies are very difficult to understand, I, I decided to start creating the community Uh, in early 2013. And in the first meetup uh, I co-hosted, I met Rodolfo and uh, and Franco, Rodolfo Andrañez and, and Franco Mati, and we instantly clicked because the three of us wanted to create uh, not only the Argentinian Bitcoin community, but the Latin American Bitcoin community. And it was funny because we were meeting in a McDonald's uh, <laughs> and and like planning how to conquer the world, like saying, okay, <laughs> we, we will create like a regional, uh, you know, uh, Bitcoin community, which now is a reality, but it was kind of madmen discussing <laughs> how to <laughs> do that. Uh, so we share that madness. No, we wanted to do something uh, valuable for for Latin America. We saw Bitcoin as a tool to do that, and uh, and we decided to work together. And uh, th then we started multiple projects: La Bitconf, the Latin American Bitcoin Conference, in 2013. At the end of 2013, 2014, uh, we set up the the. Bitcoin Center, the first Bitcoin Center in Latin America in Buenos Aires, which is still running 
Um, and later on, we helped leaders in all Latin America create the, the local Bitcoin communities. I was also traveling around. Um, and um, so that's that's how how it started. It's like first I started like getting to use it to to be part of the, the Bitcoin network. And then with Rodolfo and Franco, we started creating communities. No. And um, and my aha moment was interesting because, as I told you, I got in touch with Bitcoin in 2011. I really didn't get it. I mean, it was interesting, but I didn't get like the true depth of, of it until 2012 uh, when a good friend of mine, uh, Wences Casares, like he brought me back to Bitcoin. He told me he was living in, in Silicon Valley and I was in Buenos Aires. In Buenos Aires, we had capital controls. It, it was almost impossible getting money in and out of of Argentina. Um, and and Wences told me, yeah, open an account here, blockchain.info. Uh, and, and I did, and he sent me Bitcoins. And, you know, I, I received, he sent me a lot, like 5,000 Bitcoins. Back then it was like $50,000. It was mm. much less, but still a, a relevant amount. And I didn't have to ask permission to anybody. It's like, I just opened the account. He sent it. He told me, okay, give me back the Bitcoins. Um, I was doubting for a minute, but then I sent them back. <laughs> I sent like, uh, and, and he told me, keep one. No. So I kept one Bitcoin. Then I realized I didn't have one Bitcoin. I have 0 0.9995 Bitcoins. Then I realized I was paying for the fees of the network. So it was like, I said, okay, this is incredible because it, this is how like, uh, you know, a truly open, uh, an inclusive financial system would look because we did all this. He was like thousands of kilometers away from me. We didn't have to ask permission for anybody. It was like a truly peer-to-peer. -peer. And then that's, that was the moment I said, okay, I need to get deeper into this. There's something else here. Um, and then I started reading about it. Like at the beginning, a lot about finance and the monetary system because I, I, I come from technology, so I didn't know about the financial aspects to it. So I was reading like the, the history of money, uh, like um, <laughs> how central banks were working. I'm laughing because I'm very similar. I also come from internet web technologies and I had to learn the same things that you are telling us now. <laughs> exactly. And and so uh, in, indeed, for example, I subscribe to invest.com. They, they send you like one term per day. So for the first two years, I was like reading financial terms every day and and then digging deeper to understand the, you know, all the connected terms that I didn't understood. And in that process that I was like maybe 15 days after that call with Wences, like non-sleeping, uh, I, I, <laughs> I connected with one article from Eric Boris that is uh, a libertarian view on Bitcoin or something like that. And somehow I read it afterwards, like, and I don't think it's, he expressly says this, but for many years I was looking for ways to coordinate people without central authority or without intermediation. Like I was in search for means to coordinate um, human groups uh, without this intermediation, because in my in my view the concentration of power is is the um, the main problem of our society because. Uh, 
as people get more power, they get corrupted by it. So I was looking for ways to distribute or decentralize power. And when I saw Eric's article, I, I realized like Bitcoin was the tool I was looking for. So for me, it was more about the social elements or Bitcoin as a social tool more than as a financial element. Uh, and then I, I used to have a web development company. I told my partners, I'm sorry, but I, 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 I think I found my next thing. So I will be devoting myself to this. I help them like take over the, the, the company. And, um, and that's when, when my, my whole Bitcoin process uh, started. And, and since then, I, I've been devoting my life to it. So, so hmm. I was right. <laughs> that, that was what <laughs> yeah. I wanted to be. <laughs> yeah, great. And I think Vences Casares was very important in the, like the, the first grassroots movement in Bitcoin. I think he was one of the first who grasped the idea and how important it can be for people, especially in Argentina. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, he did the first meetup in Argentina in two, at the end of 2012. And, uh, but I think he was more important than on the grassroots movement, very important on the Silicon Valley movement because he was living in Silicon Valley and, and he brought a lot of, um, yeah, I, I would say some of the top investors and, and the, the tech community in the Silicon Valley knew about Bitcoin early on because of him. So I would say he did like an amazing contribution, like evangelizing like the Silicon Valley top top minds. Uh, and on the grassroots movement, I would say what we created with um, Rodolfo and Franco was more instrumental to and and with the early community on the Espacio Bitcoin and La Bitcoin. Those were the places where the grassroots movement started in Latin America. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, but I think we all contributed some, some way or the other, no, like uh, it was early days yeah. and, mm. and, but Wences was more focused because he was searching for something for many years that was actually like a financial backbone, uh, since the, the, the late nineties when he started the first, uh, online bank, truly mm -hmm. online bank, not a translation of traditional banking, but he was really willing to build like new rails. And then when he found Bitcoin, he found like the perfect tool for his, uh, for mm. his work. Yeah, I can imagine. So, um, please tell us what are the general big problems that people in Argentina face? Uh, why Bitcoin is a solution basically, or can be a solution? I think in, in Latin America and in, in general, because I think Argentina is one, example of of the problems we have in latin america what we have suffered is from financial systems that are completely unreliable uh, we we have suffered corruption as well manipulation of the monetary system per, constant manipulation of the monetary system um, so pe people lives in a situation where they they don't have means if i mean the local currency is not a way to protect your wealth The rules are being changed all the time. Then you have a uh, corrupt system that uh, might get your funds uh, at will. For example, in 2001 in Argentina, and that's something with Wences uh, we share a lot because uh, he lived that situation where all our father's funds were locked 
by the government. Uh, and then uh, when they got out of the locking, uh, they were one worth one fourth of the value. So, so in a way, you know, th this was like, um, yeah, th that's how we live in, in Latin America. Things that for the first world are very difficult to understand. For us, it's like we have all the things you 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 may might imagine. No, it's like lock-ins, um, you know, uh, devaluation, high inflation. So when when you see Bitcoin in Latin America, people don't you don't need to explain why Bitcoin is relevant to people in Latin America. They understand exactly that you know what a store of value is on, and why is needed to have alternative store of values, and even the dollar. Sometimes, like I was saying, sometimes you have capital controls and you cannot get money in and out of the country. So even the dollar is not an option because usually the dollar is accessed by the population in, in their cash, in the, in the cash form. So you cannot move it through the frontiers or through the borders. So I think that's why Bitcoin is so relevant because it gives freedom to people in extreme conditions and, and a store of value to people who has no access to other store of value. You know? So, uh, yeah, even if you can say Bitcoin is highly volatile, uh, it's less <laughs> volatile than many of the local economies of, of Latin America. So that's why Bitcoin is a solution for people. It's, it's, uh, it gives sovereignty back to individuals. Uh, it gives a way to protect their wealth. And it gives them freedom to transact with anybody in the world. So, so that's very valuable in Latin America and in emerging world market. You said something about in 2001. Was this the Coralito? Yes, that was the Coralito. Uh, it was okay, terrible so because for a year, you had the banking system was completely locked. So people didn't have access to the, to their life. Savings is like suddenly you you were a retired person uh, and uh, you would n not be able to access to your money for a year. And but uh, why? What what was the reason for that? Well, the the top banks it was to protect the banking system because the top mm. banks took a lot of gambles into high risk assets, and then when those assets uh, collapse. You know, that was the decision to basically lock all the funds from people and then change the, the exchange ratio between the peso and the dollar and, uh, yeah, reduce the, the monetary value of all the savings for, to by one, one fourth of the original value. So when people got the access to their money back, it was one fourth of the original value. So they stole they stole the money from the people, basically. Basically, to save the banking system, because what yeah. they should have done is like, you know, basically bankrupt the banks, the local chapters of the banks, uh, or tell the international, uh, you know, banks to to basically cover their loss because they were b gambling, like betting on high risk assets, and and basically they translated. Very similar to, if you think, it's very similar. The solution was different, but very similar to what happened in 2008 when Bitcoin was born. It's the same thing. It's like they they let the banking system gamble, and then when when the, gamble, <laughs> the bet uh, went wrong, 
they say, okay, we will print more money. That's basically taking money from the pockets of everybody that, that was saving in US dollars. And we will inject it into the people who made the wrong decisions. So, so it's like, yeah. Hmm. So the bailout was in 2008-9. And would you, is this called bail-in? What happened in Argentina in 2001? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think it was the same thing that happened in, in Cyprus, no? In, in exactly. 13. Uh, mm -hmm. so conceptually that was also related to one of the big uh, adoption cycles of Bitcoin, no? In 2013. Mm -hmm. And as far as I understand, because I also did an interview with Franco Amati uh, some months ago, and he also told me about the fact that people in, in Latin America and in Argentina are very much used to live with multiple currencies. So you not only live with the peso, uh, you are also used to use the US dollar. Um, is this basically a reason why it might be easier also for people there to, to use Bitcoin as a new currency? Yes, absolutely. Because uh, I always say Argentina is very special because on one side you have that. The economy is already split into the peso economy. I mean, people use the peso to live day by day, but nobody saves in pesos. They all, I mean, everybody has access to to some savings. Uh, it's basically saving in, in dollars. They, they don't use so So you have a double monetary economy already in Argentina. And the other thing is Argentina is very, uh, friendly with new technologies. It was one of the first countries in Latin America to adopt the internet, cable TV, like many new technologies, uh, social networks. So that, if you think about Bitcoin, it's the crossroads of both things. No, it's like, uh, it's finance and technology meeting. So you have a, a population that is very aware of how macroeconomics impact their lives, a population that is always hedging. Sometimes with dollars, sometimes with products, like things that in other places are crazy, like stores, they, they say, okay, if they see like, um, inflation, uh, shooting, what they do is they, they save the goods. They don't sell it because it's, mm -hmm. it's better to store in goods than, than actually having the pesos or selling them because they devaluate pesos devaluate too fast. So, so you have a, population that is always like hedging and protecting themselves from government manipulation and, and decisions making. So that's why it's the perfect uh, yeah, ground for, for Bitcoin adoption in that sense. And uh, what function do the little trees have? <laughs> the little trees. <laughs> the little trees are people in the streets that they exchange you the dollars as the dollars are green uh, for pesos. So that's why they, they tell them trees, little trees, because they, they have the leaves. The dollars are the mm -hmm. leaves of the little trees. And, and they are an informal uh, currency exchange system. Um, when you have capital controls, usually the government also forces an exchange rate against the dollar that is artificial. So what you have is like the, the parallel exchange rate, what is called the blue, the dollar blue. Mm -hmm. to, to call it instead of black is called the, the blue market. So ah, ah, and, yeah. yeah, so not they don't call it the black market; they call it the blue market. So so you have the dollar blue, and then you have the official rate that is today is half the the blue market. So wow. the blue market is twice 
the price of the of the official rate. And and that's another way of creating an, a tax because everybody that sells services abroad is actually getting half of the money they are charging abroad. So that's mm-hmm. quite a hefty tax for the people producing yeah services and, and products in Argentina. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you rather use Bitcoin or Lightning. <laughs> yes, ab- absolutely. Yeah. People is, is using more and more crypto for those purposes. No? Yeah. And do the little trees now also exchange Bitcoin? They do. Uh, they, they have been doing it for a while. I would say recently what you have is, is that they switched to, I mean, they are because they were living like side by side with dollar bills and Bitcoin. Now what they are doing is replacing dollar bills with the stable assets. So they are interesting that they are moving. A lot of them are moving into USDT and uh, other stable assets um, because it's easier for them to arbitrage markets, to move them abroad. So that's crazy. It's like uh, crypto is, is getting deeper into it. It's not only Bitcoin. It's also using stable assets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard that recently that more and more people also want to be paid in stable coins, yes. which I think very interesting Yeah, because then they can decide uh, I want to use the stable coin or maybe I want to save in Bitcoin or I want to exchange it to fiat money. Well, yeah, and, and I think stable assets are a bridge because in a way, You know, when we did the first experiments like uh, in the slums in Buenos Aires to to see how we could bring Bitcoin into the slums, we realized that the volatility of Bitcoin was not suitable for somebody that that is living day to day or week to week or even month to month. If You know, I always say that even if it's controversial in the Bitcoin world, I, I always say Bitcoin is as a store of value is for people who can store value for a couple of years because you need to be able to wait for the volatility to come, uh, you know, on a positive side, if you, depending on where you enter. So that's maybe 20% of the population, but the rest of the world needs like to have a more stable asset to operate on, on shorter terms. And I think stable assets provide that bridge. So it's like, as you say, it's like if you manage to have savings, you will, very likely want to move those savings or midterm savings, you want to move that into Bitcoin. But if you need to operate on, on daily basis, you need something with less volatility. That at this point is, is the dollar, but I, I expect in the future we'll have something, some things that are non-political ways, uh, like, you know, commodity baskets of commodities or different things like, you know, in the future we'll provide like short-term money that is more stable, uh, but it's not related to political uh, subjectivity, if you want. No? So, so I think this will evolve eventually. But for now, the, the stable asset of choice in Latin America is, is the USD-related stable assets. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because they already know about the USD. Yeah, yeah. So they are familiar. Yeah. And how do you see, did you also make experiments or, or, or studies about the usage or how uh, lightning is or can be used? Is it better for people like in slums and, and these areas? I, I think lightning is, is just because the tools to use lightning in a user-friendly way were very recent. It's like, 
which is how like uh, there is a very well-known wallet mm. moon wallet that is very good the user experience is very good but it took some time until we had wallets that were like uh, user-friendly and i think yeah i mean lightning is growing also the well the the rooster wallets that offer like stable assets backed by bitcoin and bitcoin are, are getting more and more use but still is not so frequent to see them in the slums. It's like this, the people in the slums are like in a prior stage. And also they usually distrust all the new things or anything that comes from outside. So I think breaching that trust gap will take some time until they feel, uh, I mean, there's a reason why they distrust outsiders is because outsiders usually get in to get something from them. <laughs> they screw them and then they leave. No, so so they have mm. this, like natural resistance, and also I think there is like um, some, uh, yeah. The, I mean, digitalization of money is something that is very recent. So it's like two steps. No, it's like going from cash, because usually in the slums it's a cash-driven uh, uh, economy. So so moving from cash into digital, and then from digital to a new asset is a process so i think we we need to we need some some time to go to see adoption in in those environments mm, understand yeah it's a long it's a it's it needs trust and education or, or experience with it yeah yes um so today uh, we're recording on the 7th of September, 2021, and it's a historic day for Bitcoin because um, from today on, Bitcoin is legal tender in El Salvador. I would be very much interested in your experiences, in your um, opinion on that, and also especially in a country like El Salvador, because I mean, I guess you know much more about that than we here in Europe and, and in the Western world. Yes, I, I think it's, uh, as we were speaking before starting the interview, I think it's like for all of us who have been in Bitcoin for so many years, it's like, you know, a very special moment because it's, it's something we always expected, but are those things that not even yourself believe are going to happen someday to have a, a country like um, you're accepting Bitcoin as legal tender. And uh, so for me, it's the beginning of a new era. You know, be, um, regardless of how well it goes in El Salvador, of course, we want it to be successful in El Salvador. But I think the fact that that one country took the leap of faith, you know, is like uh, uh, into Bitcoin as a legal tender is like a very strong message and sets the precedent uh, for the future. So I think it's a very interesting. I think what. You know, I've been gathering information about what's going on in El Salvador. M many in the RSK rootstock ecosystem are going there because, of course, rootstock is smart contracts for Bitcoin. Um, it's secured by the Bitcoin network. So we are, everybody that is in the, in the rootstock ecosystem, we are Bitcoiners first and we want to see Bitcoin evolve into into a full financial system. That's why we are building what we are building. Uh, so for us, it was like a huge opportunity and many of uh, the leaders in our ecosystem, in the rootstock ecosystem, already flew into El Salvador. Some are already are there now. 
and and we were like trying to understand the phenomenon from inside from the grassroots and i think there's a lot of uh, the situation is the population has a lot of fear they they don't understand exactly the consequences of this i think how the the law is implemented is very good in the sense that it's not imposing bitcoins like it's imposing the acceptance of bitcoin as payment but you can choose to accept dollars and and keep i mean el salvador per se was already working with dollars the the local currency the colon was almost non-existent so i think it makes sense that el salvador takes also accepts bitcoin as a legal tender because they already have no you know monetary um policy making or anything is they they have no saying in their monetary policies already so so if you already <laughs> are in the hands of somebody else i mm. must be in the hands of bitcoin that is new, politically neutral nobody can tamper with the issuance and uh, so i think it's uh, although there's a lot of fear um I think they are doing it in the right way and I think it it will be very interesting the the phenomenon and yeah our ecosystem is trying to sort the problems the short term problems of people using bitcoin like for example providing conversion to stable assets in in Rustog you have stable assets that are collateralized with bitcoin like uh, the dollar on chain so if you really want to stay within the bitcoin ecosystem you can like translate bitcoins two dollars but you know th those dollars don't have uh, counterparty risk because it's a smart contract holding bitcoin so it's kind of uh, going to um, back to a fort knox model but with trans the transparency of a uh, open and decentralized blockchain and knowing that the underlying asset is bitcoin so you can do that um and also you can lower transactional costs there's a lot of things that there are mostly the, the fears of people are about that. It's like, what I do if I get Bitcoins, how that, do I convert them to a stable asset that I know? Um, how will I cope with the transaction fees? Although with Lightning, transaction fees are low, but also Rootstock has low transaction fees. So I think, yeah, I think it's great that this is happening in this moment because the layer two or the, the extended Bitcoin ecosystem is ready to provide solutions. So. So I think it will be very successful. But yeah, people mm -hmm. still have fear about it. <laughs> this. Uh, and 70% yeah. of the population don't have access to a smartphone. So there are other things that need to be sorted out. How we give access to the things with SMS, phone base. Um, so I think if the government wants to be successful, they need to help with that. Like uh, also financing or providing the means for people to have access to to internet, to to smartphones, to if they do that well and they do the educational process, um, yeah, I think that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, hopes are high. I mean, I don't know. Uh, today, I I seen different um, uh, people saying that it's not possible to uh, like send out the thirty US dollar in Bitcoin that everybody got airdropped into the Chivo wallet. It seems not to be possible to send it anywhere, so you have to spend it inside the Chivo ecosystem. Chivo is a custodial you know system, so that's the other thing that we 
I think the rootstock ecosystem is trying to bring to El Salvador like a non-custodial environment because Chivo is is custodial. It's a closed system. Um, so I don't think it's like the, again, it's, it's not what we as Bitcoiners expect, but I think it's a mm -hmm. good step forward in the sense that at least it gives everybody exposure to the Bitcoin concept. It will create a lot of education. But of course, you know, as a, pure, uh, you know, Bitcoiner or, or we know that, you know, if it's not your keys, it's not your money. So, yeah, I, I think it's what, what is happening in that sense is something in between. It's not actually the real thing from our perspective, but it, it will take us closer to, to that. As I said, this is a multiple step processes. It's like going from cash to digital, from digital from currencies people know into bitcoin and 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 moving the the understanding of people forward in that sense mm, mm, understand yeah you're right uh do you have any information on the like 550 bitcoin that the government bought today or in the last days who has the keys for those <laughs> i don't know i don't know I mean, I, I don't want to wake up and somebody says, uh, there was a rug pull in, uh, El Salvador and the president went off with the 550 <laughs> Bitcoin. I, that would not be the best for Bitcoin. No, not at all. I yeah. think it's, it's not enough money to run off the country to yet, but eventually it, <laughs> it will get, it will get to be something substantial. Let's hope that won't happen. Um, so. You spoke a lot, of, uh, not a lot, but of course, we want to talk also about Rootstock now because um, that's basically one of your main projects, I think. Um, tell our listeners, please, a little bit about Rootstock. What is it and what's the goal? Oh, Rootstock is a, is a second layer to Bitcoin. It's a, you know, a separate blockchain that has a smart contract capabilities. It's fully compatible with Ethereum. Uh, virtual machine. So any smart contract uh, on Ethereum can run on Rootstock. But the main difference is that the native currency of Rootstock is Bitcoin and the, the, the security of Rootstock is provided by the Bitcoin miners. So today, between 50 and 60% of all Bitcoin miners in the world are protecting Bitcoin and Rootstock at the same time. So I would say Rootstock is the only second layer solution that has, uh, well, lining as well, but, you know, with smart contracts is the, the only second layer smart contract solution that has full alignment of incentives with Bitcoin. And that's very important if you are a Bitcoiner because every transaction in Rootstock, it's paid in Bitcoin and it's paid to the Bitcoin miners. So the stronger, the, the more transactional activity on Rootstock, the stronger the Bitcoin ecosystem becomes. And um, so that's very important. And it was a decision we made when we designed it, uh, Rootstock. We we could have done, gone the, the Ethereum way and, and issue our, our own currency to fund the development. And we choose not to do that because we understood that when you have a different native currency in a decentralized blockchain, basically you start like competing for resources with the other Uh, with the primary chain. No, it's like if Rootstock had a different currency than Bitcoin, then the more successful Rootstock uh, would become, uh, if, uh, you know, the more of a threat it would become for, for Bitcoin. 
by having the same currency and sharing the same security infrastructure, Rustock is fully aligned with the success of, of Bitcoin. And mm -hmm. regarding, yeah. And one, one question, uh, because of the energy, uh, uh, that's needed. I, I guess, I guess if you mine, uh, together, merge mine with Bitcoin, then there's no additional electricity needed, uh, for rootstock. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, I mean, from a ecological, although I don't think the, the Bitcoin, uh, problem with, with energy is true in the sense that Bitcoin is not, I mean, there, there are no, I mean, Bitcoin is a scavenger of energy. Bitcoin uses energy that is wasted or or not connected to the network, basically because the to for Bitcoin mining today, no, maybe in the future it would change, but uh, until today, the the cost uh, of electricity that Bitcoin miners can pay is very low. It's like maybe five cents per kilowatt. So anywhere where an industry exists, an industry will pay ten cents, fifteen cents per kilowatt happily. So, so there's no way Bitcoin is competing with the productive uh, industries or production industries for electricity. It's like using waste energy, energy that is not consumed by any other uh, industry. So at the end, Bitcoin is not increasing the footprint. And if it's using dirty energy, it's because the society is still incentivizing the production of dirty energy. So it's a problem of the society, not of Bitcoin that we still have, you know, carbon base or oil base. So we need to work on the root of the problem, not attack Bitcoin because of, of energy consumption. But in the case of Rootstock, yeah, Rootstock scale, scales Bitcoin without expanding the, the footprint, the energy, the energy footprint of Bitcoin at all. And uh, now Rootstock can do 100 transactions per second. So that's one one order of magnitude more, but then we created uh, layer three protocols that are um, the, the RSK infrastructure framework protocols that are for payment aggregation, what in Ethereum is called rollups, and also payment channels similar to Lightning, but on top of, of rootstock uh, that enables that to go like two orders of magnitude beyond that. So we are talking about the hundreds or thousands of transactions per second using the same security infrastructure. So you you really can scale Bitcoin with RSK, with Rootstock, without creating any, any additional energy footprint. And and that was, you know, connecting to your first question, what was the purpose? Is like the purpose of Rootstock was actually turning Bitcoin into a full financial service system that could serve a billion people excluded from the financial system. Uh, and and that's why Rootstock provides all the means to scale Bitcoin, to make it easy to use. Like uh, the protocols we created on the layer three provide name services. So you can have like your alias and, and interact uh, using your alias. It, it solves the scalability problems of blockchain and also provides interoperability with traditional systems and with other crypto economy. So the idea is that Rootstock like sorts out all the problems or shortcomings of Bitcoin as a payment system, but using the same infrastructure and the same native currency. Do you have some examples? I think um, you have some DeFi projects already on RSK, like uh, Sovereign, for instance. Yes. Um, there are also, I think, stable coins. You mentioned that before. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yes, you have the pioneers in Rootstock. Rootstock now has like 2,000 Bitcoins locked. So, so it's the second protocol in terms of total value lock after uh, Blockstream's liquid. So it's a... Um, so, so it's, it has been growing a lot lately during this year. And, and it's thanks to those early pioneers, as you say, you know, the, the first DeFi protocols to be launched on, on Rootstock. Um, one is Money on Chain. Money on Chain created a protocol that is, in my opinion, the best stable asset protocol in the world at the moment, uh, that enables you to have a stable assets collateralized with crypto and and the first one was implemented using bitcoin as collateral it's called the dollar on chain and the interesting thing is like um it's over collateralized so people providing the collateral are long-term bitcoiners so if you are a long-term bitcoiner you say okay i will put my bitcoins to provide collateral to issue dollars and as the bitcoin price goes up uh, the difference between the depth of the system in dollar terms, uh, it's given to the Bitcoin holders as, as a premium, as a, as a plus. So, so it's basically you are betting on long term on Bitcoin appreciation and providing collateral to the issuance of the dollar, uh, dollar peg stable assets. The good thing is like that dollar asset is always one dollar. There's no volatility like in other assets. And there's no counterparty risk. The only risk is platform risk. So it's like, as the platform both as the money on chain protocol and rootstock becomes stronger, that goes away and, and you are not, you don't need market makers. You don't need uh, third parties. It's like you exchanging your stable assets against the protocol. So that's, uh, that's great because in other protocols, uh, you need to depend like, Maker DAO in Ethereum, you need to depend on uh, on market makers because each one of the collateralization uh, pools is independent. So you don't have a liquidity pool that is shared among the whole protocol. In Money on Chain, it's like all Bitcoins are backing for all the dollars issued and they have a ratio of one to six, one to seven. So for each dollar issued, you have $7 in Bitcoin of collateral. So that's one. one. And, and that's like, kind of the foundations, no, it's a peer. That was one of the original things we were pursuing when we created Rootstock to create a truly peer-to-peer -peer monetary system. So Money on Chain is that, it's a peer-to-peer -peer monetary system. There is no third parties involved. And then on top of that, you have Sovereign that is creating all the other added financial services like swapping of assets, like uh, decentralized exchanges um, with uh, automated market making AMMs and then you have also margin trading so people who is like uh, on the speculative side they can trade all in in a decentralized form so so it's very interesting because now we are finally having like all the like a mini <laughs> financial system secured by bitcoin run on, on yeah on a decentralized environment and yeah, and uh, completely independent from regulations and KYC and these kinds of things, right? Yes, At, until the point you want to touch the local economy. Right? It's like if mm -hmm. you operate within Rootstock, it's fully decentralized. There's no like regulation involvement. When you want to switch to the local economy, you have to comply. No, it's like uh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, but, of course. Yeah. 
Uh, before you mentioned um, the connection between the Lightning Network uh, in El Salvador, like people that they might be able to switch or move their funds to dollar on chain, uh, or what was that? How is yes, that meant? We, we are working. It can be to any stable asset that lives on the Rootstock Network. So, but we are like uh, working on creating a swap between Lightning and. Lumino or Lightning, the, the Lumino is the payment channel uh, protocol in, in Rootstock, or between Lightning and Rootstock. So they can go directly from off-chain to on-chain or off-chain to off-chain. So it's if they do off-chain, off-chain is very, very, it's like it costs like a, fractions of a, a fraction of a cent per transaction. So it's very, very cheap. And you will be able to convert like Bitcoins into stable assets in, in Lumino, instantly or if you want the security on of on-chain transactions you can go from lightning to rootstock and and have the stable assets on a on a blog, blockchain address no and a rootstock bitcoin is a bitcoin or is it a rootstock bitcoin well i i i call them bit bitcoins on the rootstock network because it's each bitcoin on rootstock is backed by one bitcoin so the only way you can create a bitcoin in, but you have different security levels. No, it's like the, the safest Bitcoin you can have is a Bitcoin on the Bitcoin network. Then Bitcoins on Rootstock have different security assurances. So, so it's important that people understand that they don't have the same level of security, but they are actually a Bitcoin. It's like there is not, I mean, the other systems we, we have worked. That was one of the challenges when we build Rootstock, like how to trust minimize you know uh the 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 pegging of one bitcoin on the on the bitcoin network to one bitcoin on the rootstock network and um and i think our uh, scientific teams did a, an amazing job because we got to the maximum possible uh security minimization or trust minimization in the current situation of bitcoin no? because bitcoin cannot understand transactions on another blockchain yet uh, so, so you have to trust, uh, we have pegnatories, we have, a, you know, a set of, uh, computers that run, uh, hardware modules that actually sign the transactions to release the funds on the Bitcoin network when somebody wants to convert from rootstock to, to Bitcoin. On the other way around is truly trustless and any, anybody can provide the, the proof of a Bitcoin transaction to create the, the Bitcoins on Rootstock. But on the way back, we are still relying on these servers. But our uh, technical teams managed to reduce the trust needed on those servers to a minimum because they run a, um, a security hardware module that actually validates, uh, you know, proof of work on the Rootstock chain and validate that comes from a specific contract called the the smart contract and the operators of the server don't have access to the private keys. So it's like they cannot, they cannot actually sign transactions at will. They, they only can sign those transactions that are come from the bridge contract that is secured by the Bitcoin miner. So, so it's like very, very safe in that sense. And I think that's why we have 2000 Bitcoins operating in that fashion because it's like, uh, it has been proven to be very pretty safe. Mm -hmm. Cool. And um, do you also have a NFT project or possibilities on Rootstock? Yes. Uh, there, there are three NFT projects coming. 
uh, one that is, will be focused on uh, Latin American art. So it will be mm -hmm. focused on, on that specifically. Uh, the code name is Calo, but uh, I don't think it will be the final name. <laughs> and then um, there is a, a, an organization called Nifty Labs that they are building collectibles platform that is being launched. Mm -hmm. And there are... Uh, In 2019, we bought uh, the the biggest uh, Spanish-speaking social network called Taringa. So Taringa, the objective of Taringa was to turn a social network into a, an open sharing economy and give the content creators and the users full ownership of the platform. So uh, we are soon launching in Taringa also like the first step of that, that will be tokenization of, of the aliases and the channel ownership. So that will be NFT based. So people will own their, their the digital assets and 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 be part of the sharing economy. And they also own their social media account in that way. Exactly. So so for example, if you have an alias, the alias is your is your property. So you can actually go and sell your alias on a marketplace. And also, if you own a channel, you have been building the content, creating like the you can actually take that channel and sell it as well. While you keep it, you will have uh, revenue sharing of the advertisements run there. If uh, you do referrals to the marketplace that is being built, you also will get revenue sharing of the assets sold in the marketplace with your referrals. So, so the idea is to, and we call it an open sharing economy because that's part of the concept we want to build like reputation traces are in the hands of the user. So that's part of the reef identity um, technology we created that is basically self-sovereign identity where people is owning all the reputational information instead of like the, so it will be portable. All the reputation you build on Taringa, you can take it to another sharing economy and, and use mm -hmm. it. That sounds so exciting. And um It also sounds as if it's actually very near because I always thought, oh my God, I, I, I will never own my own data, you know, but it really seems that this is only a few years away. Well, the technology is, is already working. Like we have all the protocols. We have Reef Storage that is a decentralized uh, marketplace for data storage, encrypted data storage that integrates IPFS and Swarm. Uh, and we are doing like the final integrations into to make the marketplace open so people will be able to start paying other users to store their data in, in multiple mm -hmm. places. Then you have Reef Identity and we have already the first applications that are using Reef Identity for login. So we are removing SSO like the, the, um, the single sign-on systems uh, from Google, Facebook and using uh, single sign-on based on your keys on your private keys and, um, and and we are implementing everything in Taringa as a mo mostly as a lighthouse case so people can see mm -hmm. how you can build like a truly open uh, social network and sharing economy you know? because you know what people don't realize is today Facebook and uh, Airbnb Uber all of them are actually you know close sharing economies. They, they are, those are wall gardens because they keep your reputational information uh, for themselves. So with this, we are, we are willing to disrupt that model. Uh, so yeah, I don't think it's even years 
away. I think it's months away. Oh, uh, <laughs> so, so yeah. I'm I'm looking I'm looking very much forward to that, and we need to talk again if as soon as that launched uh, is launched, and I want to try it because I'm I'm very excited about that technology. So I'm, I'm really waiting for it. Yes, no, and and that that was part of our initial vision, like uh, because we said you know if we want to truly, I mean, what would be the final frontier if we if we are successful building a truly decentralized financial system and we are very close because we have peer-to-peer -peer monetary system now we have lending uh, like in sovereign we have lending margin trading uh, decentralized exchange of assets so we have all the fun the fundamentals the primitives of the financial system running but what will be the final choke point it will be access it's like if you think about it it's like Access uh, is centralized uh, through Google search and maybe a couple search engines more and through the Play Store. So that is the, our final vision is like how we create a truly decentralized Internet secured by the Bitcoin network. And that's exactly what we are doing. It's like Rootstock is the economic coordination layer and the Rift services are the infrastructure layer. And when you put all that together, then you get sovereignty, not only of the financial system, but also of the, of the infrastructure. So. Of your digital life, basically, exactly. of your communication and economy. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Cool. Mind blowing. So is, <laughs> it, it looks science fiction, but I, I'm very happy that after so many years of work, because we started with this in 2016, early 2016, mm -hmm. I would say we are in a point where we are close to to demonstrate this uh, in a real life application and environment. Uh, so, so this is happening. It's a reality. Yeah. Congratulations on that because I can remember when I came into the space in early 2017, everybody was talking about altcoins and blockchains and uh, Bitcoin can't do everything of all the things we want to do, you know, and I always had in mind, but there's, there's a side chain, there's something rootstock. It's, it's also on Bitcoin and it can do smart contracts. What are you all talking about? You know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> everything will happen in Bitcoin as well. So, yeah. Um, I think we were not very good at marketing, I would say. <laughs> yeah. But, but that, that It doesn't matter because you, you built, you have been building all that time. Yeah. Yes. So yes. it will be great to see, uh, coming into fruition. So into life, everything. Yeah. And people is already using this. Like we have people in Argentina sending money back to their families in, in Venezuela, for example, today. And, and, mm -hmm. and e-shops, like uh, some people send money like dollars, dollar and chains. Some people buy goods like on e-shops and they, they give instead of sending money, they send like food or, or different goods. So that's happening today. It's like uh, only mm -hmm. a few tens of thousands of users as of now. But, uh, you know, as this keeps evolving and being more user friendly, I expect this will go to to interesting numbers very soon. So um, we're coming to an end soon. And uh, as a closing question, there's a saying uh, that goes, you don't change Bitcoin, Bitcoin changes you. Um, how, how did uh, Bitcoin in all those years uh, change your behavior and your perspective of life? I think the, the, the more important, you know, I don't want to change Bitcoin, I want to expand it. 
So, <laughs> so in that sense, you know, I, well, what we are doing is expanding Bitcoin, not changing it. But um, I think the, the more important thing that Bitcoin brought to me um, was uh, the understanding of money. I, I really, I was always, I didn't understood the, the depth of um, money in, in people's life. I, I always was looking at the, since I'm very young, since I'm 12, I always wanted to, to bring tools to, to improve people's life. I, I was exposed to, to the reality of the slums and to inequality when I was very young. And, but money, I, I could not connect money to the human element until I got into Bitcoin. So, uh, when I got into Bitcoin, I realized the human dimension, dimension of, uh, of money. Um, and yeah, I'm very grateful for that because now I, I, I have, you know, I, I think I, I have a more holistic view of how important money is for human beings and, and human development. And, and at the end, money is, is human effort, no human uh, value. So, so yeah, that's, that's why Bitcoin is so important because we are like removing, uh, third party involvement in, in human uh, value exchange. We are like going back to the true nature of, uh, value exchange that is, uh, peer to peer, um, your exchange of value. It, it's in the white paper of Bitcoin, but I don't think, uh, people remember that all the time, but that, that's the more important thing is that we are going back to that initial exchange of value between two subjectivities, between two human beings and removing the intermediation in that process. So it's, mm -hmm. that's the beauty. Yeah. That's my, my, that's how it changed me. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. So Diego, uh, where can people uh, find you and follow your work? Well, I, I, I'm most active in Twitter. Um, my, my alias in Twitter is Dieguito. That is like little Diego in Spanish. It's a D I E G U I T O. Uh, so that's my, my nickname. Um, and of course, if, if you go to rsk.co, uh, you will find, uh, all the documentation. There's a developer network. That's where you can see how the ecosystem is, is growing and evolving. So that's the other place to see. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, um, do you have any plans, uh, to organize LabitConf this year? Yes. LabitConf is happening in El Salvador, of course. <laughs> it could not be <laughs> anywhere any different at the end of November. So it's, it's not communicated broadly yet, but at the end of November, um, we'll have LabitConf in El Salvador. Um, so I highly recommend going there. It will be an amazing event. Yeah, great. I mean, I, uh, at mid November is adopting Bitcoin there, the other conference. Yes. It's right after the adopting Bitcoin conference. Okay. Because, um, actually I want to go there, uh, in November. So then I know I have, I, I will stay longer for La Bitconf because I always wanted to visit La Bitconf. And also, um, because I have you here, I wanted to ask you, I mean, I, I wrote this book, which is oh. also, uh, yeah, I, sponsored. I, I saw the work is sponsored by, yes, I love by it. Sovereign. 
Yes. I work together <laughs> with Sovereign on that. And, um, I'm, we are now, uh, translating it to Spanish. Um, okay. so, uh, I, I want to also release it in El Salvador, uh, in November. Absolutely. You know, La Bitconf is all about education. You know, it's like mm -hmm. we always structure La Bitconf, like from the more basic concepts to very complex topics over the three, four days that the conference lasts. And, and La Bitconf is like, um, yeah, we always say La Bitconf is an experience. It's like if you go there, <laughs> you will see it's like no other, no other Bitcoin conference in the sense that it's like a, the friendship, like everybody is very welcoming with the, with the new people who comes to like, it's like a big party and gathering of friends. So, so it's an amazing experience. You have to be there. Mm -hmm. Great. I'm very much looking forward to it. Okay. <laughs> so thank you very much. Um, and, uh, have a good day. Thank you very much, Anita. It was a pleasure. <laughs> have a great day. Thanks for joining. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Please subscribe to the Anita Posh Show at anita.link slash subscribe and share the episode with your friends. See you next week on Thursday when it's time for the Anita Posh Show. Bye.